Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, renowned mezzo-soprano Susanna Guzman chats with Cory Dastor, an artist-turned-administrative leader in the field of opera and the first woman to have the role of general director and CEO of Houston Grand Opera. Joined by Eli Villanueva, the resident stage director for LA Opera Connects, they discuss their journeys to discovering opera, careers, and plans for the future. This conversation was recorded as part of LA Opera Connects Opera Camp, a summer performance intensive for children ages 9 through 17. I just want to say this is such a joy. I want you all to know, Corey is super special. Besides the fact that she got her professional career starting with Los Angeles Opera, she was a member of the Los Angeles Children's Chorus, who frequently performs with Los Angeles Opera. But most importantly, she was your age practically when she did Cordoba for the first time and I have to tell you her musicianship her voice there are so many memories I have of you Corey thank you so much for being here tell all of our students if you don't mind there is a golden moment in each one of our lives where we realize that music has to be an integral part of who we are you started out as a singer so when did that happen? When did you realize that it made your heart sore when you sang? I think in my case, it was more just a matter of keeping that when the world expected it to fall away. Because I think we all kind of come out into the world crying and singing and vocalizing. And before we can speak, we're picking up on the vibrations of the people around us and we can we feel love and we we feel, you know, through sound when we're in utero, we're listening to our mom's voice. We're, you know, so for me, because my introduction to opera, which generally happens for people a lot later in life, but in my case, because of LA opera and the opportunity to be a part of Tosca and Carmen and Hansel and so many incredible productions from when I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, um, for me, it was more the challenge of growing up and what does that mean and how do I turn who I am as um, a sense organ and as a musician into a viable profession. And um, that, you know, changed for me many times as my career sort of shape shift and as I developed different skills and leaned into what was going to really make me happy um, because who you are as a person is really separate from your job. And um, to be able to find alignment between your passions as a human being and the way that you find your livelihood is truly the goal for any of us. And it's um, it's the reason that work feels so energizing as opposed to sort of energy taking. So um, I, I don't know if that answers your question, Susie, but I just have to say that you know, I was asked to speak at a luncheon for the Met um, recently, and I told a story of fairy godmothers and fairy god sisters and the people in my life who really put their love and mentorship into me. Um, and you were the first person I chatted about, and everyone in that room knew you. And when I think about kind of light bulb moments, golden moments, formative moments, it's really not experiences, it's people. It's the people that come into your life and change it. 
And for Susie, she was my model of this being a profession, of, of this being a way that you could actually have a career. Um, she's a mother. She's um, a connector. She's a midwife for different people. She's a bridge into the art form. Um, and so were it not for experiences where I've gotten to meet and spend time with people who made it their living as well, I wouldn't be um, where I am today. So thank you, Susanna. And thank you, LA Opera, for all of the investment that you have made in me. They've been truly formative experiences. You are awesome. Thank you. You are definitely a fairy goddaughter. And to watch you grow in the world. So we know that Corey has done, she's got so many roles in her life. She was a beautiful member of LACC. She was a student in Pasadena. She was a young singer who attended UCLA. But didn't you start at New England? You didn't go directly to um, UCLA. I went to Polytechnic School in Pasadena, and then I went to the New England Conservatory and got my bachelor's in vocal performance. And from there, I didn't know what to do. My father um, worked at JBL, and he got me an internship, like stuffing envelopes in, uh, in, at JBL, and I just started um, working and coming home. And that's when I started waiting tables, and, and that's when I auditioned and started um, working with LA Opera. And that led to a master's degree at UCLA and um, eventual doctoral studies before I went off and performed for about, I don't know, 15 years before that transition away from performance and into institutional philanthropy, which basically means a foundation that gives money to the arts. And it was my job to decide where that money would be best spent and to work with the people who got the money to make sure that the project was successful. And I did that for a very long time. And that's really my point of view is sort of organizational health, how we look at a group of people or an organization and try to predict the most positive outcomes because there's never enough money and there's never enough people. Uh, and so you really are kind of looking at making incremental small improvements to the impact of every dollar uh, on the on whatever uh, population you're seeking to serve. So it was from that career that I found my way into artistic administration. And um, yeah, now I feel I look back and I think if I hadn't been such an opera fan, if I hadn't been working in the schools through LA Opera, if I hadn't been a performer, uh, if I hadn't been on the giving side, that I wouldn't have the perspective that I have now around how all the pieces of the opera business have to work together in order to make something go. So uh, it's many different journeys, but to me, it just feels like one journey. And I will say another really important piece of that journey has been my journey as a wife and a mother. And as I think about raising my girls in this world and how they're going to interact with arts and culture in the digital space and what they will be introduced to and how they will be stimulated and developed by arts and culture in this country. That's a huge driving passion of mine is to think of um, how opera moves forward for their generation and, and, for, and for their kids. So sometimes it's the things on your resume, but other times it's just the things in your heart that really shape where you end up. You just make my heart sing for so many reasons. And the number one word that you just said was passion. I believe in my heart of hearts that through our lifetime, our passion stays steady and we may turn it in a different direction. Sometimes it's 
we start off with that love of music and then we turn it on to an administrative job. Well, let me say the same thing about uh, Eli. Eli, you have done so, you've worn so many different masks in this world and you you started out as a singer and um, we've worked together so many times from um, being Boris and Natasha to being, I mean, <laughs> that was actually one of my favorite things to be your evil Russian wife or girlfriend. I don't know what I was. Um, to singing in choirs. And now you are a firmly established director and writer. Have you been able to take that passion for theater and the information that you gleaned from these years of different viewpoints of the arts? Have you been taking that passion and put it into your current stat, your current employment? I would probably have to say that it is because of the passion that I have for uh, the creative arts and and there is nothing as creative and and soul enlivening than when I work in opera um, and finding story in in these opera productions. If it wasn't for that, I would not be doing this because really life is not worth doing something without a passion in it. And I get very easily depressed if I'm not passionate about something. So uh, so I live, I live because of the passion that I have. That is so beautiful. Corey, do you sing to your daughters? Um, I sing them lullabies at night and my eldest loves theater, opera. I mean, she will just sit for hours. I used to have a rule that I would make her leave it in her mission before the soprano died or before the like, you know, the tuberculosis set in or whatever. Um, and I didn't really think a five-year-old would really know the difference, but um, she really did. And, and once I started letting her sort of stay for the whole evening and being there for that whole experience, she, um, both of them love singing. It's second nature. But as far as me, yeah, I'm just their mom. And, and they, they get really, they don't have a lot of patience for me singing around the house, which is fine. I, I just have to tell you, you reminded me because it's just popped into my head that I, I've always had this idea for a series. You know, I'm always so full of ideas, but I had this idea called If They Had Lived. And it was Gerard and Lockme had a family and she would sing the bell song to her. And I have this visual so strong of you sitting on the edge of a twin bed, two little girls in there, yeah. and you're singing the story of uh, and just very gently pulling the covers up as you sang them to sleep. Because it's such a beautiful They have lived. I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> I've got one with Carmen too. That's really funny, but it's, um, I think that it's how many of I think it's important that we let that music out that's within us in some way. And I think I often do it in the showers. Um, do any of you guys sing so much that your friends will say you're humming again? Let it out. Let it out. Or have you ever looked at the car next to you and they're watching you singing and you just make them your audience? You just say, what? I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on singing. I love it. You can bring every bit of that into your performance because that's what we're doing when we sing. When we do anything creative, we are touching the world with that spark that's within us. 
And we can do it many different ways. If that creative spark continues with the passion in our lives, I think it translates if you decide to be a veterinarian. You're going to sing to those puppies and make them feel better. If you become a gardener or a politician or a lawyer, you'll bring that joy and that passion or that just plain old passion to win and to conquer. I've known Corey since she was your age. And look what she's doing now. She's moving across the country. She's a mom with a beautiful family. And she is going to put that passion into Houston Grand Opera. What is exciting to you about this change, Corey? What do you look forward to in the next year? Well, you know, I should say that I love Opera San Jose. I love what we do. I love the way that we work. I love the size of the company. Sometimes being smaller really is better. We can try things that don't always work. Um, and for a community like San Jose, where there are so many challenges and the gap is so wide between people who are educated and people who don't have opportunity, an opera company can be really a different and important part of the civic fabric. So I really wasn't looking to leave and I only um, would have gone to Houston. And the reason is, as Susanna can share firsthand from her career, Houston Grand Opera is probably the most prolific commissioner of new American opera. So a big part of what Houston Grand Opera is committed to doing, aside from producing world-class performances for people to come to, is to invest in the writing and creation of new American works. And I think they premiered 76 of them, including Florencia, right? Were you in the premiere of Florencia, Susie? I was in all the first five productions of Florencia, including the recording and the video. So, I mean, works like that, to be able to have the privilege of selecting the American stories that get told in the art form and contributing to the canon of the next generation of stories is why I'm so thrilled and honored to be going to Houston. Um, the city has a long history of supporting the arts. There's an incredible um, cohort of institutions, the Menil Collection, the museum, the ballet, the symphony. Um, and what we know is that that kind of thing, the tide lifts all boats, right? And so um, what's good for the LA Phil is great for LA Opera, which is great for the Master Chorale, which is great for LACC. And when you have an engaged, vibrant community like that, um, it helps everybody. And it helps remind the public of the important role of art in our life. So I think, yeah, the thing I'm most excited about is the fresh perspective I can bring around what stories my generation wants to see on the operatic stage and who's going to write them and who's going to perform them and how we're going to get them to people, whether that's online or in the theater. So um, I will also say that as sad as I am to leave this incredible place here in San Jose, my leaving opens up another opportunity for another leader. Um, and so I'm supporting right now the board in that job search for finding who's going to take Opera San Jose into the future. And there's just a lot of excitement and growth. But you are right. It is an incredible cultural city and it has such diversity in every, every aspect. But you put the pin on something that I think everyone here can really appreciate because one of the greatest things that Los Angeles Opera also does is they invite new composers to premiere their pieces. And Eli, you have been such a part of creating so many things besides 
Les Moose and Jenna Cordoba, Jer- yeah. Women of Jerusalem is coming up. Eli, how have you felt with this responsibility of creating new works as well? I really don't think about it that way. Uh, I think that that puts on a little bit too much pressure for me. What has happened over the years is, as I get to work with new art, new works, um, with with new composers, we are defining uh, a new type of art form that includes community. One of the beautiful things about that new art form that you're talking about is really when people are contributing what they have to offer, um, it, it, it it's not about money and it's not about the size, right? Because what we're looking for is different perspectives and different skills that might, you know, sweeten the pot of the stone soup. Um, you know, it was Josh Winograd from LA Opera who called me during the pandemic and said, Corey, you know, you've got some really interesting Latine artists in your ensemble. And Russell Thomas is interested in curating a recital of Latina composers. And we'd love to partner with you. Well, Opera San Jose and LA Opera had never done a co-production before. We didn't have the same size budget. We don't have the same size theater. Um, But through that project, we worked together because the artists that were in our core and our digital media studio allowed Russell to express what he wanted to express from a programming and curatorial perspective. And I think that is the future of opera is if we think of opera as really the combination of every art form you can think of, then why not street art? Why not movement in a different way? Why not hip hop? Why not all the different forms, spoken word? And um, so world music, just there's an entirely a new horizon coming for this art form, which is so exciting. And if it's being led by people from different walks of life, that makes it so much more rich. So I really, you know, LA Opera's always led the way in that regard. Uh, ahead of the curve, Stacy and her team and the work that this department has done has really shown the rest of the world what's possible. And I'd like to point out just one thing, if I may, Susanna. Of course. Um, and, and that was Corey's response to Josh Winograde when this opportunity for Latina composers started to come up. And she starts to broaden the door even further and say, why not street artists? Why not this? And why not that? And that is exactly the type of leader that is actually needed in a grand opera art form. And so I... I, And that's exactly what happened because originally the concept was piano, but we had Chuy Hernandez, an incredible mariachi guitarist here in San Jose, who wanted to make arrangements of some of this music and it ended up growing and there was a band and there was a fusion of musical styles because San Jose participated with authenticity for its community. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, there've been a lot of different styles of leadership over the years, but certainly what we're looking for in our leaders now are people who empower the teams to do their best work. And that's my job. And for all of you who um, want to lead and inspire people in your lives, just empowering others is is the best way. It's the best way. And then you don't have to feel like you have to bear the weight on your shoulders, right? Because everyone around you is contributing. I love that. I want to ask each of you, um, Corey and Eli, there is a golden moment that we have when we're singing, specifically in singing. There is a time where you say, oh my gosh, I love being here on the stage. And I just want you to think about that. Think what that golden moment 
would be, um, I will, I'll tell you mine. It's a moment that happens when you have worked really hard with your colleagues and you are excited to um, talk to them about the show afterwards. And it's that little moment right before the bow when you're standing in the wings waiting for the stage manager and they've just said, stand by and go. And there is a moment where you're thinking, oh my God, what if nobody claps? And then all of a sudden they, you walk on stage and they applaud and you realize we communicated with each other. They got it. And that is, that is very, it's, it's super, super um, satisfying because for me, that's what the point is, is that you have opened yourself up so much that the audience says, I know how that is. I know how she feels. I know what she's talking about. And that's the connection. And when you come out there saying, I feel just like you do. That was amazing. You know me. You understand me. Eli, is there a moment that comes to your mind where you felt that way? There are two moments that changed my, the direction of my life. One of them, I was a choir boy, first time ever working uh, in the operatic stage. Um, New York City Opera, before LA Opera came here, New York City Opera would come here and spend a few weeks doing a number of productions, and they hired our choir to be those children. And so I was in La Boheme, and I got to, in Act, in act One, carry a box of wood into the, the, the space. And when we were in staging rehearsal... Um, they gave me the box of wood. They said that they would give me a go cue and you would walk in following Chonard. And so I walked in following Chonard and I put the wood down just like they wanted me to do. And then I'd go directly to Chonard and ask for a coin. This was the exact moment that he sings La Banca di Francia. And Richard Frederick's voice was so intense. And I've never heard an operatic voice under inside of 15 feet. And it was so intense that I fell backwards. It kind of stopped rehearsal at the moment. Richard is like, young man, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I, I'm fine. <laughs> I was hooked on opera ever since that moment. That was one. The other one was doing Jake Heggie's Dead Men Walking. It was there was a woman who came back to uh, to me afterwards and and said uh, there, she was a victim of a crime, and she looked at the criminal as a certain type of person until this moment when she got to see a human side of that individual and what he might be going through and and she 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 actually thanked me for that experience because it changed her life and at that point it, it gave me chills that i i would have that much responsibility in in changing somebody's life in that in that way well, that's beautiful eli that's what that's how art is supposed to touch people how about you Corey? golden moment so many golden moments um as you were talking, the one I was thinking about is 
I moonlit at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival one season when they decided to do Gilbert and Sullivan for the first time. And they decided to do the Pirates of Penzance. And generally they do straight theater, some musicals, but mostly this is a, a company that performs at a very high level, Shakespeare and, and plays. So this was sort of an adventure for them. The first time they were going to put anything musical on the big Elizabethan Tudor stage. And I remember I had sung Pirates of Penzance a million times. Um, they, they opened the outdoor theater in May and, oh no, in June. And my agent said, they want you there in March. And I said, I think you mean May. And she said, no, they want you there in March. And I said, what are we going to do for three months rehearsing the Pirates of Penzance? So I walked in on the first day and everyone was sitting down at a table and they had their scripts open and they just started reading the whole script. Tarantara, tarantara. Toronto. And I was like, oh my God, because I was learning how different theater is from opera. When you go to an opera gig, everyone has learned the part already. And so you have a much shorter time to rehearse. At a theater job, they're, they come with a blank slate. There's no previous performance that they're thinking about. Many times they don't know the lines yet. So it was a much longer process. And I was living in this world, learning. It was sort of like, you know, you're in Canada and you speak the language, but it's all different. And I was just sort of enjoying that process of being a Broadway actor. And I remember very clearly the very first Zitz probe where for the first time that ensemble of actors heard the orchestra and they had never really sung with a full orchestra before. And that, that the look on their face at that rehearsal months into the process when the overture started playing and they started to see our worlds and they started to see um, the beauty of what we do and what we get to enjoy with that many people under our feet in the pit. And they were, they couldn't believe it. And I was so proud of team opera for some reason that, you know, we, we take for granted sometimes how incredible it is to be in partnership with the musicians like that. When you go to a Broadway show, you're not hearing more than 10 or 11 players. When you go to an opera, you're hearing Moby Dick has 63 people in the pit. Um, and so to see that ensemble of actors hear the full orchestra in all its glory, to sing with those people and to make music in that way and to see the genres blend was really a golden moment for me. Oh, that is a that is beautiful. Thank you so much for being part of Opera Camp. Yes, thanks you guys. It was such a pleasure to meet you. I hope our paths cross. I'm so grateful to you for taking time to chat with me. I'm I'm rooting you on. I'm so proud of you. Um, follow your passion. Follow your dreams. It really is a wonderful life. So, thank you all. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Music